Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast, armchair quarterback edition of the Peristyle Podcast. we got a good show for you with uh, Shane Foley in the first segment. We're going to actually bring in Coach Harvey Hyde, who was on special assignment. He was up in uh, uh, Las Vegas doing some work, so he wasn't able to get on our regular show. So we're going to bring him on the armchair quarterback podcast. He's not technically a quarterback. I think he played offensive line back in the day, <laughs> back in the early 40s or something, whenever he played. But uh, no, we, we'll, uh, we'll talk to, uh, no face <laughs> to Coach Harvey Hyde a bit later. But that's, that's Shane Foley on the line. We're going to join in the first. What's up, Shane? How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Great to be back. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem, man. If you want to follow Shane, if, if you don't know, Shane uh, was a quarterback at USC. He, you could follow him on Twitter at Shane Foley underscore USC. And he also writes uh, the Foley Report every week, which is, is good stuff. I'm looking forward to this one this week. And you can find him on ShaneFoley.com and check out all that stuff. So any, anything else they should know about you, Shane? No, they can follow me on Twitter, Shane Foley underscore USC, and it's also a Foley Report page on Facebook as well as ShaneFoley.com. So I think you cover just about everything. Sweet. Okay. Uh, well, interesting. We were talking before the show, and, uh, I, and you had asked me about what the mood on the message boards was after the game. And um, obviously Utah's a team that beat Stanford, certainly a formidable opponent. Uh I, I was surprised at the the peristyle how negative things you know it, it was. There was a lot of people being negative about the. You know, to me, it seemed like a, a good win, you know, for an interim head coach and and a team that's playing ten walk ons that actually played in the game. I, I don't know what did you feel, Shane? Well, I, you know, you and I chatted about it a little bit. I was really surprised the number of calls, guys that I played with, as well as uh, just fans that. Uh, that I know that, are, that I'm friends with alumni that uh, called and were pretty disgruntled, pretty unhappy with the result. But to me, I really look at this game, third game in Coach O's uh, eight-game uh, season that we've talked about, and I think it was a huge win. Uh, coming in uh, with our backs to the wall, really, one and two in conference, they're one and three. They need to win just as badly as we do. You know, and so we, we, you know, we're coming off a tough loss, an ugly loss out there at Notre Dame, and we stepped up. It was a big defensive effort uh, all the way around, guys stepping in to first starts, uh, getting opportunities to play, uh, a lot of walk-ons, as, as you've noted. So a lot of guys have an opportunity to get first real game-time opportunities to play. And a lot of guys that I think really answered the bell, answered the call, and, and really stepped up and played great Trojan football. So, you know, turnovers was the name of the game. I know we'll climb into uh, a little bit more of the details of the ball game. But I think all in all, uh, getting a win 19-3, to uh, really locking down uh, the run, giving up a couple plays here and there, but uh, really getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, six sacks, a lot of great things to come away with and uh, fired up um, going up to Corvallis this Friday. Um, you mentioned the turnover aspect, and I think that was a big win for, for USC on defense, obviously, and, and not put, I think, uh, USC went 106 runs now without turning the ball over on the ground, which is a good sign. But what, yeah, what did you think of how the, the turnovers went? Well, turnover margin is the biggest statistic in football. So you can really uh, follow that uh, statistic. Third down uh, conversion ratio is the other big statistic that I track and write in the full report every week. But turnover margin really is a big, big factor. And certainly getting pressure on uh, Wilson and making him uh, – 
uh, miss on some passes. I know he had some hand issues going into the game, but I think really getting him out of a rhythm, uh, throwing the football, Josh Shaw moving him back over to corner was uh, was huge. And I just thought we really swarmed with the football. The Trojans really got around the football, tackled well, got some pressure, uh, you know, six sacks on the day. Uh, best pass defense is a great pass rush, and we saw that really in this game, really getting a guy out of rhythm, in addition to having, you know, probably a hand that was not uh, 100%. So I think a lot of those things uh, really are imperative to uh, put together a great game, and especially going on the road this week, uh, it's going to be really crucial for us not to uh, not to lose the uh, the turnover battle. I think the statistic I think I pulled off was you know the previous 13 games we were minus 12 in turnovers. Our record was five and eight, and then the uh, the seven games since. Uh, that uh, that time, the previous games, I guess, before those 13, we were plus nine, and our record was six and one. So you're going back to last year, and that's an old stat, but it just goes to show you how important the uh, turnover margin, uh, winning the turnover margin, is. Uh, yeah, certainly, and obviously that helped out the offense. That um, I, I know there were some people being kind of critical of, of Cody Kessler's play, and we saw it on the Peristyle. I know you talked to some of your buddies about it. Um, it was hard. He didn't have a, a, a scholarship tight end. I mean, the, the the tight end that caught a pass was pitching for Wake Forest last year, and wasn't you know he was he was a former quarterback. It wasn't like he was a regular yep. tight end. He ended up starting. Um, I mean, how, I don't know what what you thought about that. How difficult it is for a quarterback to come in here with limited receivers and no tight ends and, and perform well. Uh, well, what did you think overall of how Cody Kessler played? You know, all in all, I thought it was a very good win. Uh, and I think that he was the, the uh, game manager, the field manager, if you will, uh, to lead them to victory. And so I think that's a big part of it. I thought he managed the clock well. I thought there were a lot of good things I'd take away from it. Uh, 21 of 32, no interceptions, a couple of balls that were forced, uh, a couple of misses. Uh, but all in all, I thought it was, on balance, it was a, a very, uh, it was a positive day and a positive game to go, you know, on the road. Uh, this week up to Corvallis uh, with no turnovers and, and, and playing a good football game. I think, you know, as you've talked about, a lot of new faces in the lineup. You know, you got a tackle that's converted, a girdler uh, that, that's really being brought in to, to block and having a big body out there. I thought there were some good things that came out of that. But, you know, having the other two tight ends, Wilson and Shane Sullivan, sorry to see uh, Shane Sullivan go down and uh, – uh, you know, for the year uh, with with a knee. But I think, you know, to your point, you've got a lot of new faces. And Flournoy getting back in there, certainly he's been in the program a long time. Darius Rogers really emerged. Aguilar really, I think, has positioned himself as the number one uh, receiver uh, on this football team. Certainly Marquise Lee, when he gets healthy and comes back, there should be a lot more balance, I think, uh, you know, between the two. But Darius Rogers uh, making plays, I, I, you know, just seeing these guys step up and having first opportunities to play. But challenge is continuity because when you're practicing during the week you got timing a lot of these guys as you know better than I because I'm not really out there during the week a whole lot you know a lot of these guys didn't even practice so the details that you've got with you know working with these guys with timing you know back shoulder throws uh, they just missed on that uh, that one to Darius Rogers in the first half I think there were a lot of good things though that came out of it and um you know, I think that uh, attention to detail, though, is one thing that I'd say, Ryan. I think that uh, on play action, I think, uh, you know, again, what really comes down to for a quarterback being successful in a lot of ways, you know, reading uh, the defense, taking what the defense gives you, being accurate, uh, not just how you throw the ball, but when you throw it, you know, giving those guys an opportunity to make plays, uh, giving your guys an opportunity to make plays. 
and then uh, just you know little things like play action. There were a couple times where he went back, uh, where he actually went. Uh, you know, when I reviewed the film on it, went the wrong way. Basically, you had the fullback uh, Vanuku and the tailback go left, and he kind of faked right, and it didn't sell anybody. So just little things like that that I know he'll tweak, and I know that he'll continue to work on with Clay Hilton, kind of getting up to speed on that. But it's just the little things in the detail that you have to have, uh, you know, to really make a difference. And certainly those are going to be very, very important going on the road to Corvallis on Friday. Um, all right, so we talk about the quarterback play a little bit. Let's talk about cornerback play, because I know the secondary was kind of beat up, uh, not a lot of numbers there. It didn't, it didn't have a, the greatest performance the last several weeks. But and, and the one guy I know you talked about quite a bit, you've been doing this, is Josh Shaw. What do you think about Shaw and how he played a corner and what that did for the overall secondary? You know, I think Josh Shaw was a guy that I talked about really after game one. You know, when you had some issues early and you had a couple guys get hurt, Anthony Brown getting hurt against Hawaii, I think that Josh Shaw was a guy that played last year and, and really more of a natural safety, big-bodied guy, big physical guy. The guy's a specimen, but that's a guy that can cover. And as I've said before and I've written about in the Fuller Report, you want to have your best 11 guys on the football field. And when you put a guy like Josh Shaw at corner, you know, he just like he's, you know, like he was telling Coach Pendergast, hey, the right side of the, the, you know, the defense is covered. Don't worry about the right side. And by and large, that was really the case. You know, you want to have a big physical guy like that. Those guys, uh, the, you know, the Utah receivers had some big bodies uh, on the receiving end. And so matching up well against, against those guys, Josh Shaw gave them that opportunity. Kevon Seymour is definitely continuing to develop, playing very good football, uh, certainly not vulnerable at all on that side. Demetrius Wright came back in, filled the void, and and uh, you know really stepped up the safety position and uh, clearly uh, I think Leon McQuay getting his first uh, opportunities really to start in the nickel package and then come in in the second half and play really uh, when we had some injuries in the, in the defensive backfield so you had a lot of guys do some really good things Sue Craven's uh, interception right you know right before halftime setting up an extra field goal right there was huge you had guys making plays and you know again guys playing together guys playing athletically physically that's what we saw from these guys. And, you know, I, I tip my hat, we talked about it before the show, uh, with Deion Bailey. And the guys in the street clothes before the game, you, you know, Coach O talks about one team, one heartbeat. Deion Bailey's in the street clothes, knows that Sue Cravens can't go, he's got a groin, and he suits up. You know, he, he suits up because he says, hey, my team needs me. So that, that really tells me a lot, you know, about these guys buying in, about having the right attitude, about having the right passion, and just believing, you know, believing in these guys, knowing that his team needs him. And he says, hey, you know what, he's worse off than me, I'm going to go. And so I just, I really love the unity that we're seeing uh, on the defensive side, especially uh, really guys uh, stepping up. You know, J.R. Tavai stepping in for Morgan Breslin had a great game, uh, you know, 10 tackles a couple weeks ago. Uh, certainly had a great game again, not only rushing the pass, but just diagnosing screen passes, uh, really just playing very, very smart heads-up football. You know, interior line Antoine Woods, you know, big 99 coming through the line and making big plays, really making his presence felt, which was huge. Leonard Williams, clearly we've seen him uh, – 
uh, play well and uh, do do some good things. But Antoine Woods was really played big. George Uko, big George uh, down there was doing some really good things. And then, you know, Anthony Sorrow taking over for Lamar Dawson. You know, athletically getting down the line of scrimmage, flying to the football, uh, really covering a lot of ground that was really great to see. There was really no drop-off at all and really more athletic side-to-side uh, side and uh, diagnosing getting down the line of scrimmage, which was, which was great. And then number 10, you know, he is uh, the, really the heart and soul of that defense. Yeah, calling the defenses, getting there, making plays, disrupting, uh, you know, disrupting plays, getting out, you know, on the flats, and then also coming up and, uh, you know, making quarterbacks pay or running backs pay uh, out on the edge. So I think it was really, all in all, just a great performance by the defense, one to build on, and six sacks uh, really, um, I think, bodes well, and we're going to really need all of these guys to play at the top of the game, their, their games the rest of the season. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes with uh, facing Oregon State. But you talked about um, Deion Bailey. Uh, you know, if you talk about a guy like Deion Bailey, who was in street clothes and came out in the second half, Nelson Aguilar, yeah. who before the game, no one was even sure if he was going to play, end up having a big role. Trey Madden, who looked the best of the running backs, and no one was sure if he was going to play. What does it do, you know, to a to, to the morale of the team when you got guys like that that – didn't really practice all week. You, most people don't think they're going to get in there, and they step in and, and make plays and make some big contributions, especially a guy like Deion Bailey who was in street clothes for half the game, which is yeah. I mean, it's kind of unprecedented just seeing something like that. Well, it's unusual, you know, to see. But when you see these guys, it's like a mass unit out there, Ryan, and you know that. I mean, we came in with 48 guys. We lose three in the first half. You know, so down to 45, I guess then you go back to, you know, you do an exchange with Cravens for Deion Bailey coming back in. But it really, I think it's a testament to Coach Orgeron, Big Coach Joe, you know, getting these guys to buy in and believe. I think, uh, you know, these guys believing in each other. Uh, you know, again, backs to the wall, really one and two, uh, needing a win, having to get a win. And I think these guys stepping up for each other, you know, really a band of brothers. You know, these guys really playing for each other, playing for, uh, you know, playing for those guys around them, playing for the Trojan fans, you know, really playing their hearts out. And so I think it just really, it says a lot. You know, I said it before and I'll say it again, an ugly win is better than a pretty loss. And, uh, you know, granted, you know, the offense, uh, we didn't score a lot of touchdowns, only one, but we capitalized on four turnovers, you know, translated those into 16 points. You know, and then we get the first uh, field goal uh, in the second half, and we've got to translate, uh, you know, some of those scoring opportunities in the red zone to touchdowns, no doubt about it. But it just really, I think, it, it really gets those guys inspired, you know, and fired up. A guy like Trey Madden, who's questionable, coming out there and running through tackles, pounding the football, uh, really breaking tackles, carrying guys. Um, he, he's just a beast. And so, you know, not only did he do that, he made a guy miss, you know, when a guy came in and had an opportunity to, you know, to hit him behind the backfield. And, you know, he turned a two-yard loss into about a two-yard gain. So, four, you know, four-yard difference. And it's not really just the yards we're talking about there, but it's just putting your team in position to win. And, you know, grinding out, you know, 60, 63 yards that he had, he, he just uh, – you know, a guy like that, the the whole team will buy into and just feed off of that kind of energy, that kind of determination, that kind of desire. A guy like Deion Bailey, as you said, in street clothes, coming off and giving it his all, uh, it really gets guys, the rest of the guys, I think, around them 
fired up and just saying, Hey, I'm going to push it. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to be on that field for the rest of, uh, for the rest of the team. And so I think that's something that's just going to create uh, more toughness, more heart, more resiliency as a team going through when we're going to need it. Because certainly, you know, having 45, less than 50 guys to, you know, go on scholarship guys the rest of the year, uh, everybody's going to have to rally and everybody's going to have to be ready to step up when their numbers call. Um, all right. Two, two points I wanted to, uh, Go on. We're going to talk about Oregon State next, but I wanted to ask you about the offensive line because you've been a quarterback and you, you've seen things happen, strange things happen on the offensive line before. It's been kind of an up and down year, certainly. And, uh, you know, you have a guy like Kevin Graff going down and there's shuffling in front of you in the middle of a game. Um, what did you think of what was going on with the offensive line? Well, it's been a work in progress all year, even with uh, some of the continuity they've, they've had. You know, there's been times when when we really pounded the football and looked good at times, as, as we know. Uh, and then there's times when uh, we've underperformed and we haven't played well as a unit. And I think certainly with Kevin Graff going down in the first half, you take Kirk uh, out of left guard, move him to right tackle. And as we know, he had a lot of experience playing left tackle last year as a true freshman. Guy's a true sophomore. We move him over there. You keep Andre Walker at right guard. You got Marcus, big Marcus Martin in the middle calling the line signals, and then you bring John Martinez back at left guard, and then Chad Wheeler on the left side. And Chad Wheeler had his hands full with number nine from Utah. I mean, that guy's a tough player and uh, was talked about a lot, one of the leaders in, uh, in sacks in the, in the conference. So, um, you know, I think having the, you know, having a guy step in like that, you know, when you, you're kind of basically moving your line around, it, it's tough, you know, because when you're playing the offensive line position, you know, guard and tackle, those guys are playing together. Uh, I remember when I was playing, we had on the left side, we had Dave Cadigan and Jeff Regal playing together my freshman year. And watching those guys play, they were like in concert with each other, Ryan. So these guys, you know, they would basically just mug defensive lines. I remember seeing, you know, Cadigan uh, drive a guy 30 yard, 25, 30 yards downfield and, and <laughs> taking him out of bounds. I mean, it was just fun to watch those guys play. And, you know, we're, we're not there yet. Um, we've got, uh, you know, I I think just to get into unison playing as one, uh, really, I think there are certain plays where we saw missed assignments where guys were unblocked. That that's a problem. But it is tough, you know, when you've got guys makeshift uh, moving into different areas and different situations. They got to spend a lot of time in the film room. They got to get a lot of this stuff right uh, and really play together and, and not let guys go unblocked. That was the thing. Couple of plays. Uh, certainly giving up some of the sacks, um, just getting beat, you know, one-on-one -on -one matchups where we just got beat, where guys got beat up front, and that was a problem. Uh, certainly uh, on some running plays where we just basically got stuff. Pad level was too high. Guys got underneath the uh, offensive lineman's pads. I've written about that and talked about it. We got a big, tall offensive lineman. Martinez is not, you know, tall like the other guys, you know, per se. But, you know, again, you've got to get your pad level down and win one-on-one -on -one matchups, and that was the thing. Between missed assignments and between um, – you know, missed assignments and then just some one-on-one -on -one opportunities where we just got flat-out beat. Uh, it's got to get better, and we're going to have to be ready to go in Corvallis because, as we know, that's a very, very tough place to win. Yeah, speaking of Corvallis, it's one of the last topic I wanted to uh, talk to you about. The last couple of weeks, USC's had the luxury of playing, you know, a, a hobbled or an injured quarterback and injured another quarterback. It's not going to be the case up there in Corvallis. I think it's going to be the biggest test or one of the biggest tests for this defense, at least since Arizona State especially the USC secondary. 
the offense is not going to be able to go without scoring a touchdown, I think, in the second half like they have the last couple of weeks. So what are your initial thoughts just looking at playing Friday night, the day after Halloween, up in Corvallis? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's going to be huge. It's a huge uh, – you know, they're coming off a tough loss up there, played Stanford down to the final whistle, had an opportunity to go in, and, you know, down eight, they had a chance to go in and, and uh, you know, in the red zone and score and, and potentially take that into overtime. So – you know, Mike Riley is a uh, is a great coach. You know, I remember when he was offensive coordinator at SC. I watched game film with him back in the late '90s and uh, mid mid to late '90s, and just a great, great coach and uh, very at home up there in Corvallis. And so I think he's done a great job building something. They had a tough loss early in the year to Eastern Washington. We're really kind of counted out, and then they come back and, and win six straight. Play Stanford, very tough up there. Um, I think I think SC needs to really study the way Stanford played that, that their offense up there. Uh, you know, they really uh, one of the things I think it's going to come down to is can our front seven, especially uh, you know our front four uh, or five, depending on what defense we're in, uh, with two two interior linemen and our two uh, two ends slash linebackers getting pressure on Mannion. You know, again, I'll repeat it again cliche but the best pass defense is a great pass rush and i don't care who the quarterback is if you can hit him in the mouth if you can play physical football and get to a quarterback get him out of a rhythm get to him uh we're going to have to be able to do that with our front uh four or five guys you know getting in there and we're not going to be able to bring stunts on every play uh we're just not going to be able to and brandon cooks uh you know certainly sean Mannion and brandon cooks really have been the best combination uh, quarterback receiver combination in the country this year Mannion's still uh, you know after a after Stanford bottled up quite a bit uh relative you know to the rest of the season you know he's still averaging 408 yards uh, or something like that per game passing so he's gonna get his passes uh you know thrown downfield he's gonna you know try to really move the ball around cooks is very very dangerous uh, great route runner precision uh I, I do like our chances again with the defensive backs that we've got hopefully cravens will be back uh mcquay i think getting uh, his first uh, opportunities to play and then we've already talked about josh sean kavon seymour those guys are uh going to be very very important in this game and i think that's really what uh coach pentercast defense is predicated upon you know we're going to have to put pressure on the quarterback, we're going to have to be able to cover, you know, one-on-one in certain situations playing man, and uh, it's going to be a tall order. But that's really what his defense is predicated on, and we're going to have to be able to do that. Offensively up there in that environment, we've got to protect the football. First and foremost, we've got to be able to protect it. We have to win the turnover margin to win this football game. So we're going to have to get off the line of scrimmage or offensive line. We just spent a lot of time talking about it. They're going to have to play better. They're going to have to play lower. They're going to have to hit harder, and they're going to have to communicate. We cannot have missed assignments it's going to be loud up there we had you know we had three more uh procedure penalties uh, a couple by a lineman one by uh Vinuku on a punt um so but that's something that uh even though overall the penalties were much better in this game than they were out at notre dame with the holding penalties we had back there it's got to be it's got to be even better so we you know we've got to really play disciplined football got to have fun got to run the football but we also have to play disciplined you know find the balance between the two Cody Kessler is going to have to have a very good game. And uh, I know Coach Holton's going to call a great game, and we're going to have to really, uh, uh, hopefully with Trey Madden, I think, you know, Silas Red, uh, the way I see it and the way I'd like to see it is Trey Madden be the first guy. I think he's earned that right running for 100 yards the first four games. 
you know, being a leading, leading wrestler on the football team, doing a great job in this last game. I would use Silas Red a lot like uh, they were using Justin Davis. Now, uh, Silas doesn't have the top-end speed that Justin Davis does, but he's a slasher. He can hit the... Uh, you know, hit the corner uh, well, and he'll also hit it up in there. So I think they'll be a great complement to each other with Madden leading and then Silas Red getting some carries, kind of like they were doing with Justin Davis earlier in the season. So I think with that, hopefully getting some healthier guys, uh, you know, again, continue to come back. Hopefully we'll have the tight ends, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, just depth with, with guys coming back. I'm not sure what uh, you could probably tell us better, but what Telfer and Grimble's situation is. And again, Aguilar, Darius uh, Rogers, and even having, you know, Florinoy break out and having his best game as a Trojan last week. So that's really what I'm liking to see. And, and uh, Hadari, you know, the kicking game coming back and, uh, Hitting four out of five field goals was a big day, a big confidence booster for him. He's going to have to, uh, you know, really play like he did this week, not, you know, not like he did against Notre Dame to give us a shot up there. But uh, that's really my take. I think it's going to be a, a, a big game. It's a tough place to uh, win. We haven't won up there in, in quite some time. So uh, a lot of riding, as you said, the day after Halloween. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a slugfest. And our defense, uh, again, I think we need to really follow Stanford's blueprint and really uh, – go up there and uh, lay the wood to their uh, quarterback <laughs> and, uh, you know, to their, uh, to the receivers. Uh, great stuff, Shane. Appreciate that. And just on the update on the, uh, the tight ends, um, Ed Orgeron on after Monday's practice said that Telfer was out and Grimble was questionable, but then we talked to both of those guys. They both expected to play. So we'll see. Good. There wasn't any pads in practice on Monday, so we'll have to see later on the week, but there's a chance that those guys can play. Yeah, well, good. We're going to need them. <laughs> so, you know, I just, uh, you know, again, the mass unit, we're going to have to have these guys ready to go. And, and uh, again, with the attitude that they brought and showed uh, here at the Coliseum going up to Corvallis, uh, going to have to really uh, play, as, as Coach, Coach O says, you know, one team, one heartbeat, and lay it all on the line, and I know they will. And I know you and I are both looking forward to seeing the game. All right. Well, great stuff, Shane. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show, and we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, thanks a lot, Ryan. Bye on. All right, and then back. everyone else will be back in 30 seconds. Got a special guest, Coach Harvey Hyde, coming on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde joining the show. What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Everything's great, Ryan. I'll tell you, uh, football season uh, never stops. I mean, what a short week uh, with Monday Night Football and everything that's going on, then a game on Friday, Friday night, excuse me, the Trojans travel, one less day of practice and uh, one less day of preparing. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Friday night, uh, they take on the Oregon State uh, Beavers in Corvallis, a place that's a very difficult place, uh, or at least has been a difficult place for the Trojans to win. I had a chance to watch the Stanford-Oregon State game, and uh, that was a 
real shootout there at the end of the game as far as Oregon State having three shots to, to at least score a touchdown, and they'd have to go for two to beat Stanford. But uh, Stanford held them to, what, uh, nine points or whatever it was, 12 points. And, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, Stanford's D is tough. But I really like Oregon State's offense, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, what happened with uh, Utah. We're going to have to talk about what's going on. Coming up with Oregon State, I wanted to thank our sponsor for uh, the Parastyle Podcast, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you any ticket needs, you want to check out what's going on with the Ed Orgeron era of USC football, you go to SCTickets.com, and, and they'll hook you up. And So, Coach, I wanted to start off with uh, – you know, the Utah game, obviously, and kind of get your thoughts of, you know, what was going on. With, I, I talked to Shane Foley about this a little early in the show. I was surprised at some of the negative reactions that we got from fans on uscfootball.com. I mean, it, it, it to me, it was one of those games that there was so much not going your way. Just to come out with a win seemed like it'd be a pretty positive thing. But there was a lot of fans that didn't seem to be too happy about it. I guess they forgot that this team... Did beat Stanford, who you just saw, you know, slug it out with uh, Oregon State up there. Well, yeah, this team, this team was a, like I said on the pregame show, it's a very hard-nosed football team, very closely knit together with a great coaching staff. You have two coaches on this coaching staff that was college coach of the year, and Dennis Erickson and then Kyle Whittingham himself. And you've got some older kids, a Polynesian community that's close. And, uh, you know, they they lost in overtime to Oregon State. They beat BYU, and BYU's only lost two games the entire year. Uh, they beat Stanford. So going into the game, I was very concerned about the game. I, I was really concerned about it. Uh, you know, after the Notre Dame game, I was, I was uh, uh, wondering how the team would react to a very emotional loss, uh, a game that they would – uh, that would be talked about for a long period of time. We're still talking about it, or I am, and other people. A game that you'll never forget. A game that you say, we should have won that game. Should have won that game. Should have won that game. And hearing everybody talk about it. And I was worried about the emotion of that game. And then coming back, and of course, with all the injuries, uh, and people talking about the injuries over and over and over and over, there wasn't much positive going on. The sanctions, the injuries, the loss to Notre Dame, the penalties all of the things that people are talking about and the reasons why they lost. So I was really uh, anxious to see how they perform against Utah. Utah came into the Coliseum not intimidated at all, not not one bit, wanting to or looking forward to this game, as Kyle Whittingham said. Uh, they played us or played SC close, and they were looking forward to playing them again. 33 players from Southern California on this team uh, wanting to make, make an impact. <clears throat> and... Uh, Kevin York, the, the running back even, was a player that SC had offered, and then he had verbally committed, and later on they didn't take Kevin York, the running back, one of the running backs from Utah. Uh, so uh, you look at this team and, and, and you say, how are they going to react? Well, I thought one thing looking at and giving a general summary of the game itself, I thought the defense played really hard. They played hard every single play and you've been hearing me talk about adjustments in the secondary which they finally made they got shot corner they got two free safeties in the game that could play and cover the field 
Uh, I've been talking about Demetrius Wright playing the entire year, number 24. In the spring game, if you remember, he intercepted two passes and played well. And then uh, Kevin Seymour at the other corner. Kevin seems to be getting better every week. So uh, I thought that uh, Deion Bailey uh, doing what he did uh, was worth mentioning today as far as saying, hey, Silver Craven went down. They need a safety. I'll dress. I'm ready to play for Coach Ed Orgeron. I think that shows a lot as far as spirit to the team and to their current head football coach. I thought you had some great performances on defense. I think J.R. Tavai is a player that a lot of people haven't really recognized, and I think he's now really surprised everyone, including myself, and I think also including the, the coaches at USC, 11 tackles in this football game, and and uh, Ruffin's not playing much, but he can play too, and Morgan Breslin, uh, you know, was injured and didn't have a chance to play, but people stood, stepped up. And, you know, people are talking about all the walk-ons at USC. They've got so many walk-ons playing and so on. Well, their walk-ons are two or three-star players, okay? They can step up and they can play and they can play big. Other players, teams are playing with these type of players and winning. So they, they did step up and players did play hard. Uko and Williams and and uh, Woods, I thought Woods played hard and got in the game when he got in the game. And the backers thought it was great. Sraro and uh, and all of Pollard, Pollard, everybody on defense played hard. And and uh, the turnovers made the difference in the game again. Four turnovers, six sacks. I mean, you know, that 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 is what shakes up a quarterback. And I think that really shook up Wilson, Travis Wilson. Uh, he was never on. People are trying to say, oh, his hand was bad. That's why he didn't throw well. Oh, uh, no, I don't buy that stuff, okay? Sure, he wore a glove. Uh, but, you know, when you're going to play, you're going to play. So I thought he threw the ball hard down the middle of the field. I thought a lot of receivers were covered. Then again, he had some drop passes too, and he missed some people on some screen passes that would have been big plays. I thought that the... Offensive line of, of of USC is the question mark of the team. Thought they got away from what they do, uh, and that's run the football. Tried to pass the ball a lot, but they did take advantage of what we've been talking about for the entire year over the middle of the field, middle of the field, middle of the field, middle of the field, and they did hit Aguilar and Darius Rogers in the middle of the field. Things I can't understand as far as in the passing game, and you shouldn't ask me one question, but I'll take the whole show. <laughs> But they've got to learn to move the sticks. When it's third down and eight and you run a five-yard out or a guy to the flat, what does that do for you? Nothing. You've got to run routes and know where the sticks are, and you've got to know how many yards you have to get to move the sticks to get a first down. Uh, Clay Helton was on our Trojan Brunch show on Sunday, and I asked him about that. I said, do you have curl routes, Coach? Uh, you've got 10 yards to go. You go to 13. You run a curl. Find the open area. Throw the ball and first down. Simple play and catch. Just just play catch with people. He said they did they had they did have that in their offense, but I didn't go any farther with it. So no draws, no screens, no bootlegs. If you've noticed, they quit running the bootlegs 100%. They just do a quick play action pass. No outside toss in their offense anymore. No lead option. Nothing to put any type of pressure on their perimeter of the defense. So what do they do on defense? They pinch. And when you don't have a tight end and you pinch, you get there quicker. You cut off the inside running game. And that's what they've done. 
Now, Trey Madden came in, and he's a load. He's got a lot of power. He pushed the pile back, and I thought he had some great runs. But you can't just pound all the time. You got to have a little, a little, a little finesse involved in it by 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 making them worry about different things that you do have in the running game, and your passing game. So I think what people are upset with is you haven't seen as much improvement in the offensive line. Yeah, they had a couple of injuries, but that's that's the way it goes. And and uh, there's been excuses continuously about you know the the illegal procedures or the people not blocking right people and mental mistakes. And, and after a while, you know, you, you look for improvement. And right now the offense, what, has scored three – wait a minute, how many points have they scored? How many did they get in the game? What's the damn final score of the Nin- game? 19 to 3, but three in the right. second half. Three of the, the yeah. last two games in the second half, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and people get tired of seeing that. And defense has to win the game. Uh, the last two games, defense has played their butts off, and they take they take, they get field position again, and they can't take advantage of the field position. Thank goodness I gave Adore offensive player of the week. He scored 13 of the 16, the 13 of, of the points. Adore did. So you know, uh, uh, you know, I thought Cody Kessler threw the ball well enough to really uh, had nice touch. They dropped a couple of balls. Aguilar dropped the ball. Darius Rogers dropped the ball. Can't drop balls. You got to make big plays. You got to have some playmakers, and they don't have any big plays. And you've got to have some big plays. They've had two big plays this year. One day, Aguilar, I liked that little corner out that Aguilar scored on for about 30 yards. I thought that was a nice play. That was nice, yeah. Really a nice play. A nice touch on the pass and a nice effort. I like Flournoy's efforts. I think now let's give some positive thought too. Flournoy's effort on that one catch he caught and fought for additional five or eight yards was all on him. A tremendous job. And these kids can play. You don't need a whole hell of a lot of kids. All you need kids like you got Aguilar, Darius Rogers, and Flournoy. That's enough receivers as far as reservists, running backs, how many running backs do you need? Yet the other ones are getting well in a hurry when the other ones do pretty well. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, that works in a hurry. All of a sudden, I'm well, coach. I'm ready to play. But you got Madden. You got Red. You got Allen. How many running backs are you going to play in a game anyway? So I think that, you know, I've always said, and people always know this, the, the wars are one in the trenches. Uh, and you've got to be able to block, and, and, and you can't play. A play-action pass means nothing when you're not running the football. They just keep coming after you. They had eight in the box. They come after you, and Cody got hit, I think, sacked four times, and uh, he takes a beating on that, and you, you just can't do that. If you're going to – you've got to run the ball to play-action pass. Otherwise, just get back in the gun and throw the football down the field. Throw the slants, do the routes, do whatever you're going to do, and just be a passing football team. So uh, that's my story. Uh, three <laughs> hours later, it's nice to be with you. Well, there's a, a bunch of different topics that, that you touched on that we wanted to, uh, to, to ask you about. But there was one question that was written in uh, from Benfect about your interview with uh, Clay Helton. And you talked oh. to him on the Trojan Brunch, which is on ESPN Radio here in Los Angeles, um, after – uh, after the game on Sunday mornings, you go on with uh, Pete Arbogast. And so here's his question. I heard Coach Harvey Hyde interview Helton. Helton was evasive and did not answer a direct question about why USC doesn't run outside more, use counters, use screen passes, and attempt third down passes long enough 
to actually get the first down. Helton just repeated what USC did. Um, I wish Coach Hyde would have said, uh, Coach Helton, you converted three of 15 first downs, and that's about par for the course. You scored one touchdown and rushed for 70 yards. I know what you have been doing. What's your plan to do differently in order – what is your plan to do something differently in order to obtain a different result? Go for it, Coach Hyde. These Kiffin remnants need a reality check. What do you think? That's from Ben Ficht. <laughs> well, uh, i tell you. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I have the utmost expect, uh, respect for all coaches. And it's not my – when a coach comes on our shows, I'm not there to drill him or, or do – I'm there to ask questions that are questions that he would ask me if I was coaching. And I want to treat him with respect. And if he doesn't answer the questions to what people expect him to do, I'm not going to pry any farther than that. Uh, I'm going to ask the questions. Uh, I would have liked to ask a lot more questions. Really, I think he was very good on the show. He was very nice to come on the show. But I have to say he was evasive. He didn't answer a lot of the questions because maybe he didn't feel he should. But uh, those questions are questions we're all asking. Uh, I don't understand, uh, like he just mentioned, some of the plays that we've been talking about for a long time, the middle of the field as far as passing games been there, and they explored that, and it was very successful. It could be explored a lot more. I also mentioned, I asked him the questions earlier in the year, you ran the bubble screen. I said, you don't run it at all now. I'm not saying run it every down like they did against Washington State. But I asked him, I said, don't you occasionally feel that play might work? And he didn't answer the question, which is, <laughs> uh, his, which is his right to do. He said that, yeah, that's true. We did run a lot, but right now we're not running it a lot because of the coverages. I asked him about throwing down the field more. He's with a running their safeties deep. Probably what he's talking about is a cover two. A man with deep safeties, well, that means the middle of the field's open. And, and that's what he said. That's where they're throwing the ball. But you've got attacked areas that they're allowing you to attack. Uh, and, uh, and I'm not a know-it-all. All I do is, is try to ask a question, educate myself, so that I can help answer questions when I'm asked these questions on the show. But I'm not going to ask him to a coach in any way to belittle him or what they're doing because he makes a living. He has families. His family, that's his job. I just thank him for coming on the show and have the opportunity of talking to him. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I thought that was interesting with, with what he was saying in, in the interview, and, and we get a lot of questions about that. Um, one of the things that came up, and some, they asked in our other podcast, and I end up asking Ed Orgeron about this in his conference call on Sunday. Um, I know it was a close call between Orgeron and Helton when they when he was named offensive coordinator and was going to call the plays, if he was going to be up in the booth or if he was going to be down on the sideline. So I asked Orgeron that, like, you know, with the, the struggles on offense, do you think you guys would revisit that and, and put him up in the booth? And he was like, no, he, they love having him down there. They love having him uh, with the players, um, being able to be next to his young quarterback. It was a, it was something that they seemed like that's they're set on doing it. They're not going to put him up in the box, uh, up in the booth. But what do you think? Do you, do you think that was something that, that could change the fortunes of this offense by having him go up there? Well, he's got to be I, – I talked to him about, you know, 
not calling plays for a while and getting back into the rhythm of it. And he said, yeah, it takes some time to, to get the rust off of it. And uh, if he likes to work and if he can work well on the field, uh, that's fine with me. And fine as far as the decision that Coach Ed Orgeron has made. Um, I think you see better from the top. I was a head football coach at Pasadena City College, and I called the plays. And I actually went in the press box as a head football coach because I really felt that I was doing the best for the team to be in the press box. So as a head football coach, I would go in the press box. The team knew where, knew where I was, and that's why I called the game. Because if you're going to be an offensive coordinator, you're an offensive coordinator. I was a head coach, but I had to do what was the best thing to give us the chances to be successful and win. So I'm just saying what I did. That doesn't mean everybody has to do this. That doesn't mean it's the only way of doing something to be successful. But I think you see the field better. I think you're not distracted. I think that you don't have people yelling in your ear. You have your papers in front of you. You can look at the field. You know the down-distance situation immediately. You don't have to look across the field or listen to somebody tell you what it is or look at the scoreboard to see what the down-distance or the time is or, or get confused and how many seconds are left before the play goes off. You're more calmer. You have a, you have communication with the field. I think it works better because you're you're basically concentrating. You have to concentrate. You're taking a test. You can't be distracted when you're taking a test. You're challenging your wits against the wits of a defensive coordinator. And uh, I think it's better, but that doesn't mean that it has to be there. One question I wanted to ask Clay Helton, but I didn't get a chance to get to it. I I would love to have kept him on. He was very nice to be on the show. Uh, I wanted to ask him, if he'd have been the offensive coordinator at USC at the beginning of the year, would he have been able to run his offense or would he have had to run Lane Kiffin's offense? And if he could have run his own offense, and if he did have a chance to run his own offense, let's say, if Coach Ed Argeron stays and keeps him on the staff, I mean, uh, these are a lot of ifs, what offense would you run at USC? That That is something that I would be very curious about. I really would be. And uh, I didn't have a chance to ask that question, so I can't really uh, say or comment on what he would have said. But I would have loved to ask him that question. I'd be curious to see what he says, too. Um, he didn't When he was under Lane Kiffin, he really didn't say much. All he would say was Lane Kiffin's a genius play caller. But, you know, he just basically deferred everything to Lane. So um, I, I'm not sure what he would say now that that's – you know, obviously that's changed if he well, would have changed the offense or not. I'm not sure. Ryan, he did that Sunday. If you remember when he first came on, he said, I'm so fortunate to have learned this offense under Lane. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you were listening to the show. No, yeah, I got I, to I hear it. Yeah. assuming you were. No, yeah, but, it's, uh, he definitely deferred to Lane quite a bit. And uh, he did before. And, you know, he's, he's still – I haven't heard it much after practice, but like he did in your uh, on your show there. So uh, we'll see. I mean – to me, I, I don't know what's best, but I do know that Lane did make a lot of interesting choices that, you know, we questioned and we were like, oh, that you know, is this the uh, is this the right thing? Uh, it's not normal. Maybe it's not like what you normally would see happen. If it works, then you're like, okay. But if it's not, then you look back at the decision like, you know, we, we kind of thought this might have been a bad decision. Why would you go there? Most offensive coordinators are up top, you know, and, and – there are exceptions to guys that are down on the field, but they are exceptions more than the rule. So if you have an offense that – if you're doing something that 
most offensive coordinators don't do, and the offense is struggling, just to me it seems logical that maybe that's one thing you should fix. And it doesn't seem like they're, you know, they don't, they don't look at it as fixing. They don't look at that as a problem, which to me, and I think to you as well, it seems like it, it potentially would be a problem. Well, you know, Ed Orgeron uh, is in charge of the program, and, you know, you don't have to ask. You can tell. When you're the head football coach, remember, you don't have to ask. Uh, you're in charge of the program. And if he feels that he should be up front or up up in the press box, well, you say, hey, you're going up there. So, obviously, uh, he's made the decision in his mind that uh, it doesn't make any difference. So, And I respect that. I respect that what Coach Orgeron's made and also what uh, Clay Helton has done. And uh, it was a great interview because it was coach to coach. If you if you listen to the interview, I don't know how many of our people are listening today, but it was coach to coach discussing techniques, coverages, patterns, routes, with a with a lot of respect that, towards each other. And uh, I thought it was. Uh, a very good learning situation. It's the way I would be talking to him if we were sitting in a bar or sitting having a cup of coffee over breakfast, chatting back and forth uh, on offense, defense, and what's going on. So I would love to have a coach on every Sunday and be able to speak with him like we did with Clay Helton this past Sunday. I thought it was educational. I thought it was uh, good for me. Good for our listeners. In fact, we had one caller call immediately after the interview and say that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, because you don't really get that type of interview in a press conference, Ryan. In a press conference, it's all yes, no, maybe, and uh, I don't know. Uh, this was coach's talk, and I thought it was great, and I really thank him for coming on the show. Uh, all right, well, let's get. we had a couple other topics I wanted to get to. Uh, you'd mentioned in your opening salvo about the, uh, the walk-ons. And I was curious, uh, you know, 10 walk-ons played for, for USC, um, you know, in your days as a head coach at UNLV, do you remember any kind of games where you had to have a significant amount of walk-ons, uh, participate in the game? Uh, not really. Uh, I was for, I don't know, maybe we did. I can't remember specifically. I know in junior college, they're all walk-ons. Okay. Yeah. Nobody was on scholarship, but at at UNLV and Long Beach State and Hawaii, uh, we had some walk-ons, preferred walk-ons. Some were just people that say lived in Las Vegas that wanted to go to UNLV and had scholarship offers at other universities, but didn't want to go there. Wanted to come to UNLV because of its hotel management program. Parents could afford it. They lived locally, and they came to damn good football players. I think you're in the you're in the service as far as evaluation of rivals and and I would say some of the walk-ons at USC and I don't have any uh, proof of this, but I'd say some of those players were two and three star star players. W- would I be correct on saying oh, yeah. that? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, so there's... it's not like you got somebody on the team that's never played football before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So and and they and they and they're not all on the field at the same time. I mean, when you look at the defensive team that was out there, I mean, you you go across the defensive team that was out there: Tavai, Williams, uh, Uko, Kennard, 
Pollard, Serrano. You only beat Stanford on Serrano. Uh, USC did. And then you go into secondary, Shaw. You all know Shaw had a chance with Florida out of Southeastern Conference. You got Shaw. You got Suva Craven, who could have gone anywhere in the country. You have uh, Demetrius Wright, who's a heck of a football player. And you have Seymour, who had maybe five Pac-12 offers as far as more in other conferences. Uh, that isn't a bad defense to start off with. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I don't think there's a guy maybe on the, of that group, tell me if I'm wrong, maybe one three-star. Would you say that? that I'm not sure what Tavai was when he came in. Yeah, I think Tavai might have been a three. He wasn't really that or that well known coming out of Maricosta, but yeah, most of those guys are four and five. You're exactly right. So, so I'm saying, you know, you can't feel sorry for the talent level. Then you go on the offensive side of the football, and I think this is where all the frustrations in. You, you take the left tackle Wheeler. He was a three star, uh, playing before he should be playing. He's he's he, he's needs uh, four guys getting. Uh, Played against one of the best defensive players on every single team, and he, you know it's very hard to learn that way. Uh, that's what oh, that, I'll talk more about that. But then you got Max Max Turek. He was a what five star? I think he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he I was think he was there. a five star. Uh, Marcus Martin was at least a four star. Uh, the right guard uh, Walker or Martinez. I think Martinez was a five star out of Salt Lake City, if I remember, wasn't he? I don't. Rem- I'd have to go back and look. I, I don't well, remember you know, him being a five-star. I'm just going down as far as talents. But he was sir. up there. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know. Yeah, and then you're you're right. At Kevin uh, Graft, I'm not sure what he was. He was a four-star, I think. Yeah, he was. He was well, a big recruit. Yeah. Okay, you got him and the tight ends. I know they were all four and five-star players, and your receivers were all four and five-star players. Your quarterbacks were, running backs were. So, talent is something. If you go by the services that evaluate players. There wasn't a walk-on that started on offense in the game. Well, now there this huh? The, the tight end, Chris Wilson, had to start. Yeah, Chris Wilson. Yeah, okay, that's right. He did, and uh, it's too bad. Very unfortunate too that he got injured. Oh no, Chris, Chris was, was okay. Huh? Sullivan, Sullivan was injured. Sullivan, t- yeah, Sullivan. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. well, one of them went down, right? Yes. So you know, uh, so it wasn't like all the walk-ons are playing all the time. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying is you got to perform. You gotta, and I think that's where people are frustrated, frustrated because you've got player level, but you're not performing to the level of what your quality of, uh, of engine power should be. If you have a certain engine, you should, and you're supposed to, to run so fast and, and do so much, and you're not doing that, then your engine isn't tuned properly or something. You're running, running the wrong fuel <laughs> or, you know, there's always something to relate to. And I think that's why people right now are a little bit upset because the offense is not really performing to the level of what you have to do to win. Defense is last two games have played superb, superb. And they get one W and they get one, one uh, loss. And against Washington State, that should be a W. Everyone knows that. So it's not a, something like you have to be a genius to figure it out. So I think that's where people are upset. And I think people just want to know. And they want to see improvement. That's all people are asking for, I think, isn't it? I think so. There's going to have to be some improvement. I can guarantee you if USC only scores three points in the second half against Oregon State, they're not going to win that game. Um 
there, there's going to have to be some changes made on offense. And I, I think they made some changes going into Utah where they got the penalty situation, you know, mostly cleared up. But this, you know, being abysmal on third down, they went, I think, 18 in a row without converting on third down between the last two games. I mean, that was ridiculous. Uh, finishing 3 of 15 or whatever it was. You, you're not going to be able to do that against Oregon State. They're going to score. Oregon State's going to score some points. You have to score some points to win that game. Well, I agree with you. You're not going to beat Oregon State by just kicking field goals. Let me put it to you that way. Their offense is very explosive. Uh, I love their offense, the way they run it. They get the ball to every single person. Everybody's involved in their offense. And uh, you got a great quarterback that can stand back there and throw the football. And he throws darts. And they, they really run an offense that plays off of, off of if you do this, we're going to do that. And uh, he's done a great job of coaching it. But, hey, just give their defense some credit, too. There's some tough guys in the defensive side of the football there for Oregon State. they got a lot of pride up there. Got a lot of pride in, in Corvallis. Uh, it's a tough place to play. I played them up there when I was coaching at UNLV and uh, had a chance to experience it. It was a, it was a great experience. I mean, you know, up there, we were fortunate enough to win. Thought I'd throw that in, huh? <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, it, it's going to be a very difficult game with, a game with one day less to prepare and travel so you have one day less to prepare and you have to travel too one day less to get your players healthy see when you add up all these things you know one less day to have your players rehab this that that travel blah 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 it takes away from really your preparation for a game, and you're going to have to have a super, super effort to beat Oregon State. Well, we'll see what happens Friday night in Corvallis. But uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, Coach. And I know it's a slightly different podcast than we normally do, but it's the same kind of thing, talking USC football. So it's always good, and uh hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Las Vegas. Well, thank you very much. And uh, for all of you out there, thank you very much for sending in questions and being a part of our podcast, because without you, we don't have a podcast. And, Ryan, again, I want to thank you for understanding and calling me at this late hour to, to get this podcast done. No problem, Coach, and uh, thanks again. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We'll be back with the regular Peristyle Podcast next Monday, talking about USC and Oregon State.